This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Now, of course, every segment we do with Dr. Mark Westfall, unless it just goes horribly wrong, ends up <laughs> online as a podcast under the name Let's Think On It. So go find these. People ask all the time, like, oh, I wish I could have heard you know, that segment with Dr. Mark Westfall, and that's the way to do it. That's how to do it. That's, that's how to do, do it. Right there on iTunes. Um, all right. We're going to continue what we've been talking about, correct? We are. We, we, we've got a series going. Well, which is race relations and brain biased. There's so much to talk about with this. Agreed. It, every time we get together to discuss this, there are new things happening, new things to talk about. I'm afraid to talk about them. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That fits right in with tonight's topic. Why are you afraid to talk about them? Well, you know, here's the thing. I like to be liked. By most people. Yes. Right? Right. I right. like for my approval rating to be high. Yes. Mm. Uh, because I have a public job. My m- Several jobs that I kind of have <laughs> are all public jobs. I think so it's not just that. For me, it doesn't benefit me to alienate people, right? So if I can just talk about kind of fun things, you know, like I've written a couple of articles that were whatever, kind of pushing, but it was all stuff that I really felt like, well, look, nobody's going to be able to disagree with this. Like, Uber. What, look, I was talking about saving lives. That's what that article is about. Like, hey, you're, this will save lives. We need it. So I didn't think I was going to like that. Yeah, so you're not afraid that. to push an agenda, but you're afraid that if you push the wrong agenda, you might well, your approval ratings might go I down. I just kind bit. of avoid it. Now with the new morning show, especially with boy soccer moms in the cars in the morning. You're on the morning it. show here. Is yeah, I do the morning show here right now at uh, Birmingham Mountain Radio. So with the soccer moms, they will tell you immediately how they feel and so anyway so with that i just kind of avoid talking about and so what about this makes you anxious well one thing about will we should all recognize and know is that he is i think generally averse to conflict right whereas like i just enjoy arguing so i you know (laughs) which is why you go to the family gatherings that's that's exactly right we covered that topic a few but also at if we're at a family gathering or just at dinner or whatever and and the topic of religion or politics comes up will is is quick to cite the old adage that you should not talk about politics. What is it? Politics and religion. Yeah. If you want to ruin a party, bring up politics or religion. And I always say you're not having a party if you're not talking about (laughs) politics and religion. So I bet this, I bet this one makes Will extra nervous tonight because I bet we're going to get into both of those topics. I just, no pun intended. I don't think this issue is as black and white as a lot of people on both sides are presenting it. What is this? Well, the race issue. right now, the race issue that is encompassing everyone in the country is, you know, between the uh, bombings that happened last weekend and the police shootings over the past couple of days, people, so many people are taking this, like, black or white stance. Again, I, that has nothing to do with the race. I'm just saying, like, it's either all this way or it's all this way. Yeah, I don't people have act- very strong opinions. Is that what you're Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm not sure that, to me, that that's exactly how it is, but... Look, Lord knows I'm not going to express that on Facebook, <laughs> right? I mean, for me, Facebook's just fun. It's just a fun right, way to promote right, right. stuff and whatever. Well, you know what? And to kind of, for those who haven't heard the first two episodes, this is the third in the series. We have another one coming, by the way. But, um, you know, we've talked about essentially a couple of things. Implicit bias, which is where your brain goes with 
without you directing it, when you come across something that's new to you or something that you not even new to you, anything you come across, you have an immediate association with it based on your life experience and based on where you where your brain's been. And that is normal. We all do that. And so this anxiety you're talking about, everybody experiences anxiety when you come up against something that's different. And there's a racial anxiety that, that is talked about when th- that people avoid talking about some of these issues because they're on one side of the fence or the other. They're either worried they're going to offend someone, right? Or they feel so strongly about it that, you know, they just say it and then they do offend someone. And then they're worried about how the conflict's going to go. So people feel anxious with talking about intergroup dynamics when it comes to racial differences and ethnic differences. And we talked in the first episode, it's hard to even define a race. Biologically, there's not really a definition for it. So, but we tend to put people in groups, and that is normal. And I want to kind of reiterate that. All these things that are going on, grouping people is normal. However, the stereotypes that you develop become abnormal because they're not, you, you can't, let me put it back this way, one person doesn't represent a group ever. I mean, people are right. different. But you, now, when are, you get into yeah. a group, people do tend to behave with the group. That's a group dynamic thing we talked about as well. So they tend to be pulled by that group in a certain direction. And so you can be affected by the group. But no one person can stand up and speak for a group and everyone in the group always agree with them because right. everyone has a, has their own uniqueness. And so one of the things that I think will help us as a country is to stop dividing people into groups with our speech and begin encompassing a larger group. You know, all of us together, Americans, yeah, okay, is a group that you can put a lot of different people into. And when you enlarge the group, you're more inclusive, and suddenly you start speaking to other people in the group differently. Like, we're all different colors, but we can come together in a bowl like Skittles. Like Exactly. Like Skittles. Well, you know, one of the things yeah. that brings people to, together in this kind of situation is when you have a strong out group. So, for example, in times of, like, World War II or any war, mm. your country tends to come together, and suddenly those racial lines don't matter as much. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa we're all fighting now a common enemy. And suddenly these things break down. So, and that's an example of how expanding to a larger group can help bring people together. Now, we don't need a war to do that. That's just an example. Um, but that's kind of what we've been talking about the first two episodes. And, and the first episode, it was just us talking about the dynamics. Second episode, we had Chief Roper coming in yeah. talking about um, you know, the racial tensions. That was so good. Black Lives Matter, that was great. Well, this episode, we have a, another awesome guest, um, Kuala Hadid, or Hala Hadid. And she is the executive director of CARE, the Council for American Islamic Relations for the state of Alabama. This is a national organization. She's executive director of the Alabama chapter. And so we're going to bring her in and we're going to, we're going to talk about our preconceived implicit biases or explicit biases about the Islamic faith. And we're going to learn a little bit about it, a lot about it, I hope. And we're going to dispel, I hope, some of the implicit biases that we, or the explicit biases and implicit biases that we have. We've really been looking forward to this. Really, really, really. Since the yeah. beginning, you know, we talked about this segment doing yeah. this. And yeah, yeah. 
uh, this and Chief Roper both were, I knew were going to be two of my favorites. If you have any input here or questions, comments, you can tweet those to us at Lock Me Brothers. Um, of course, all of them at Will Lock Me, at Read Lock Me, at Over the Radio, at BMMT and Radio. There's so many. Um, let's go ahead and take the top of the hour break and, you know, we'll get our thoughts together, come back and talk to colleague. Oh, do I even say the K at all or it's just the H? I would just say Hala. Just Hala. Hala. Hala Hadid. Got it. Awesome. We're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall here. You can catch all these segments online, iTunes, and anywhere you find podcasts. It's called Let's Think On It. We're talking about race relations, brain biased. Tell us where we're going here because I can't wait for this. Well, we're going to introduce our guest, Hala Hadid. Yes. Uh, Executive Director of Care. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining us. Me. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So tell us a little bit about your position and who you are and, and your background. So so the listening audience can kind of know who we're talking with. Uh, my name is Khala Hadid, and I'm the executive director for Council on American Islamic Relations. This is uh, a civil rights organization, organization the largest uh, in the United States. And uh, I'm the executive director for the Alabama chapter here. We deal with issues uh, related to discrimination mostly. We deal with civil rights issues, uh, largely with the Muslim community here in Alabama. We started uh, two years ago, and uh, slowly and gradually, it's it's been a it's been a tough year, but uh, I, I think we're okay. I was going to say, you have your work cut out for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. So what is the mission of CARE? Our mission is to enhance understanding of Islam and Muslims in the United States. And uh, it's also to support uh, equal justice for everyone, irrespective of your background, mm-hmm. uh, whether your religious background or uh, you know your racial ethnicity or whatever you may have. So I would, I mean... I would expect that you have a lot of people who have very little understanding of the Islamic faith. Absolutely. Because, you know, I was just doing, and I love working with you guys on these things because it makes me go and, and, you know, do some research and learn stuff. So I'm just going to throw out some things that I've came across that were helpful to me. Um, but, you know, the numbers of people of the, that who are Muslim, which is someone who follows the Islamic faith, um, are very small in the U.S. I think it's around 1%. So the average person walking around rarely comes across someone that they know in depth who is of the Islamic faith. Now, in larger cities, there's more, but there are, I mean, America is a very rural world, a rural country. Yeah. I didn't realize the number was that low. Yeah. And I think of people I who like claim a religion, it's 1%. Oh, okay. What's the overall number of people that claim a religion? I wonder. So, Sorry to throw that on you. No, I've got that. some numbers here. Let me keep talking. I'll but I bet we, we get a skewed picture of that a little bit living in a metropolitan area. You know, I, I think among my students right now, I mean, I certainly can think right off the top of my head of several Muslim students that I have within my, you know, so the, definitely the population is larger here in the Birmingham area. Right. Yeah. yeah. Urban areas. That's right. Exactly. The percentage is higher. But the number, if you look at, you know, the, the population, I mean, we're... Alabama is a very rural state. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, on the have, outskirts of Gadsden, there are probably not a lot of Muslim people. Right. Yeah. And even if you have a, you, you named how many? You know, I can Hoover? think of two or three off the top of my head. And how many people are, go to Hoover? Well, there are around three thousand students. Now, these are just students that I have in class this year. I got you, yeah. but still, you're mm-hmm. two or three out of two or three thousand is point one percent. So well, even no, if no, there's no. ten times that, yeah, there's one percent at your school. 
Well, no, no, no. It's, it's larger than that because I have two or three students out of like 84. So I've got like at least 3% of, or percent okay, of my 3%. students I bet are. Okay. Yeah, so, Muslim. you know, but still it's a small number. Mm-hmm. And, and so my point is, is that there's a lot of learning to be had. Yeah. It's, it's novel for a lot of people. They, there's, there's not a lot of understanding about it. So, I mean, basically when, when you talk to someone in Alabama and say, okay, what is your image of someone who is Muslim? What do you think is their image? That's a good question. Holla, you probably have a lot of people who tell you their image. Absolutely. Uh, I'd rather you guys tell me, what's your image? What do you guys think of a Muslim? What is what is the first word uh, or a thought that comes to your mind? So l- let me clear this up really quick at okay. the sake of sounding really dumb. But There's, there's, no, no, there's no dumb. Right. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. Mm-hmm. All right, so we understand how, that uh, Judaism is a religion, Jewish sometimes it can, is considered a race, right? So but like a lot of times you can say like, oh, that person's Jewish, but they're not practicing, you know, they're not practicing Judaism. Right. Can Is that similar? Is, can that be a thing with a Muslim or Islamic? Or no, that's like, if you're Islamic or if you're a Muslim, you're practicing. One of the things that I tell people all the time is Islam is the religion. People who practice it are Muslims. So yeah. we tend to make that, uh, you know, um, I don't want to call it a mistake, but this is like a normal thing for people to do to say that if you're uh, um, following Islam, you're Islamic. Not really. You're a Muslim. And in Quranic teachings, in Islamic teachings, um, anybody who says that they believe in one God and that Prophet Muhammad was his last messenger, they're Muslim. Right. And you really don't have to literally do anything else to be called a Muslim. So but there is no racial identity associated absolutely. with Muslim because that across the, the world there's so many different nations where the Muslim faith is the so, predominant religion. Agreed. And so back to the, the numbers for a second. So yeah. we said about 1% in the U.S. Worldwide, the percent of people who identify themselves as having a religion, what do you think the percent of people who are in that, in that category worldwide, people who identify themselves as having a religion, what percent are uh, is follow is Islamic religion? Um, gosh, I, I don't want to sound stupid. I, it's a very it's a large percent, right? Yes, it's large. It's a large percent, uh, but I I don't know. I would say thirty five. Okay. Yeah, I'm struggling even to think about. You know, thirty five sounds good to me. I I don't even feel like I feel very confident about. I, I kind of feel like maybe Christianity is the most predominant religion, I but now I'm starting to doubt right, that. So here's the numbers. Yeah. This, and I looked at a couple of sites. So of the people who identify themselves as religious, 31% Christian, 23% Islam. Huh. Okay. 31 Top. Christian, 23? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, next would be unaffiliated with anything at 23%, and the next is Hinduism at 15%. Judaism is 0.2%. Yeah, it's very it's small. a very small group. They're just afraid to admit it. But <laughs> well, but the top three monotheistic religions, one God, would be Christian, Islamic, and Judaism. Right. Okay. So that's kind of it, it kind of spins your turns your head a little bit when you say, wait a minute, twenty three percent of the world's population follow Islam. What country do you think have the num- have the most people who are of the Islamic faith? What country has what is the largest population of Islamic what country people. has the most? Yes, the largest population of Islamic people. Mm. Boy, that's a good question. Okay, uh, I feel like it, all right. So, what would be a large country? Um, you know, like maybe Turkey or maybe something in Africa. Okay, 
I mean, I your, your first reaction is to go to the Middle East and to it think about to to Saudi Arabia. But not everyone goes. China, but right. I, in China, but that's not right. Okay, Indonesia. Indonesia. So oh, you're, yes. There you right. go. Very large population. Southeast yeah. Asia. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. You said you first go to, most people go to the Middle East. You think, okay, Muslim, I think Middle East. You think East. Iraq, mm-hmm. you think Iran. You right. think, mm-hmm. yeah. Most people think that most Muslims are Arabic. Right. That's actually not true. Right. Most people who are Arabic are Muslim, percentage-wise. Actually. Is that accurate? Not really. Most Arabs are Christian. What? Uh, Arab Muslims are about 23%. Is that right? Mm-hmm. How about that? That's very interesting. That's very contrary to what people And most of us here in the United States, we think that all Arabs are Muslims, and yes. that's not true. Yeah. Uh, most Arabs are Christians, and uh, some of, well, uh, a decent percent of them happen to be Muslim as well. Yeah. So your question earlier, Hala, was how do we perceive mm-hmm. Muslims? Uh, I don't know if you got to hear the first episode we did here on race relations, but we took a test, and I am not racist at all. Wow. Zero I'm racist. glad I'm sitting right next to you. Yes, zero racist. Yeah. Um, no, to be honest, I... I can't I say that for myself. I just don't... I don't know. Like, we have several Muslim friends, and I don't think that I've ever thought... Here's my thing. I have weird, you know, questions about religion in general, so that's just, so that's just like... But that goes more towards Christianity, or as much towards Christianity or Judaism or mm-hmm. Hinduism or whatever. It doesn't. So I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't group our friends that are Islamic in any kind of different category. We still like go to dinner and they come over let and me, we have, you know, like I don't know. Let me ask you it another way. How mm. do you think in in these times? What is the thought that comes to your mind when you not think about your Muslim friends, but you just think about Islam? What is what is the thought that you know that is most in well, in your mind? Well, here's what I'll say about that, <clears throat> and this is probably this probably has to do with the type of exposure that we get to Islam and and what we hear on the news about it. Um, when my first thought is is usually that oh that's serious business right now we we are surrounded all the time by christians who are kind of like loosely practicing christianity and not taking it very seriously perhaps but when i think of um islam i think of followers who are who are following who are practicing the religion who are serious about what they are doing and talking about and who are devout and i get this creepy feeling as i say this that that's probably um, not. I, I feel like that's probably not a fair, you know, guess or assumption to make about um, Muslim people in general. My guess would be that really, the more Muslim people you get to know, you find that much like the Christians all around us, that they have varying degrees of how devout they are. But you think about the hijab, you know, for example. Um, that's that's like such a that's such a dedicated thing to do. You know, to to say, oh, no matter what this society around me is like, I'm going to stick to the tenets of my faith and do this thing. Um, and so it seems very serious. So that's my that's usually the first thing I think of. Actually, mo- most uh, Muslims, I would I tend to agree with you. That's no. that's how it is. It's 
It's a different type of uh, Muslim wherever you go across the world. Uh, some people are practicing, some aren't. There are degrees to how much they practice. Yeah. For example, the amount of prayers they would uh, you know, pray during a day because yeah. you, as a Muslim you have to pray five times a day. Uh, you have to fast during the month of Ramadan. If you can, you have to give charity from your savings. It's about 2.5% uh, you know, um, in a year. Yeah. And most people regularly do that. For example, there's some, uh, for a Muslim, you're not supposed to drink alcohol at all. Right. Uh, s- most Muslims I know, and I know a lot of Muslims, don't drink alcohol. Right. And uh, e- there are even greater number of people who would not come close to uh, eating pork. Uh, mm. Because as a Muslim, you are, you know, that's something that you don't do. So when it comes to being devout, I don't know how you uh, judge that because then there would be some people who would never, you know, get close to eating pork, but they would be okay about drinking alcohol. So it's, it's you know, it's, so I guess what I'm trying to say is it, yeah. it's, it's a varying degree of people who, uh, who tend to practice in ways that they think that, that makes them Muslim enough. Yeah. I think obviously there are so many people in this country and around the world um, that are confused or have questions about the fact of like, wait, but this religion is teaching people to you know blow other people up, right? Let's address that when we come back. All right, we're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall, continuing our series on race relations and brain bias. You can find it online. Let's think on it. Dr. Mark? Well, I uh, just want to reintroduce our guest, Hala Habdeed, who is the executive director of CARE. And, and as we were talking about last segment, she speaks for all 1.6 billion Muslims across <laughs> sure, the world. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Right? Absolutely. It's easy, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's funny because when I was asked before the show, like the last month, we knew you were coming on and, and I was asking people, you know, okay, I've got this executive director of care. What would you like to hear? If you had the opportunity to ask your question, what would you like to hear? These are people who are well-educated, uh, good friends, and they... Frequently, the topic came up, why, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase, why do they hate us? That's Interesting great. comment, right? I mean, that that's is, a broad brush. That's a very broad brush, <laughs> very and that's kind of like, you know, but it happens, that broad brushing happens because we are getting inundated with media of terrorist activities, and they are associating it with Arabic Muslims, and so your brain makes an implicit association. Right. I mean, if you haven't uh, known a lot of people of the Islamic faith, as we've decided already, there's only, it's a very small segment of the population, and then you're inundated with this image, and you attach it to fear. Yeah. Okay. Our brains respond to fear more than any emotion. We more of our brain is designated for the fear response than any other emotion. It makes perfect sense. That's how we've survived. If something if something is fearful, it's going to get our attention. If something outside that window started happening that frightened us all, we would all forget we're on the radio and we would run, you know, an earthquake or something. Right. We would run for cover. Okay. That's normal. So what's happened is is this fearful thing out there, this boogeyman thing is happening, and we've now getting inundated with this association with it. And so people's first Statement. And these are people. Once you talk about that, oh, uh, that was a stupid question. Of course, she can't speak for all 1.6 billion Muslims, and of course, all Muslims aren't trying to kill us. But that is what's implicitly on the mind. And so, I just want to throw that out there. I know you were talking about. You know, you don't really. I mean, 
uh, Will's this like completely perfect non-racist person. That's but, correct. Yes, that's correct. But <laughs> most of us out there really honestly have this implicit bias. And as we learned from Renee Meyer's uh, yeah. talk, you have to first acknowledge what your biases are. And so let's just go with that. That is one of the biases that Americans currently have is that they're afraid and they associate Islam with terrorism. And I suspect you hear that all the time. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Every single day, without a doubt. Uh, the first question that most people ask me is, uh, are Muslims violent? Is Islam a violent religion? Uh, how do you reconcile with that? I don't have to because I don't believe Islam is a violent uh, religion. 1.6 billion Muslims don't practice it like that. It is something that uh, we believe and we think that most people come away with because they're watching that on their TV. Yeah. Nine out of ten times, most people, like you said, have not met a Muslim. And I actually go further. I don't think it's enough to just know a Muslim. Uh, there is more to that conversation. You really have to start knowing people enough to want to feel the same way you feel about your children as, as you would for anybody else, you know, for another child. And I feel that happens when we literally start understanding that there's a deeper conversation to be had. And I think in our society, uh, especially right now, that's literally kind of impossible to expect 1% of your population to kind of know everybody, you know, right. the rest of 99%. To, so to expect that somehow everybody's suddenly going to know Muslims and it's all going to be okay, not really. It's, uh, so that's why I feel knowing Muslim is not enough. There's a deeper conversation and we need to have it. So, Hala, what do you say to the people then that say, but wait, there are these terrorist groups that are killing lots of people in, in the name of in Islam? The name of Islam. What how do you, how do you to respond that? to that? Yeah. There are also people who are killing in the name of, you know, blank. XYZ. Yeah. Christianity. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. For example, I don't go around telling people that, you know, KKK stands for Christianity because I think that would be absolutely, you know, ridiculous. And it is amazing, I think, how quickly people are ready to latch on to the idea that, oh, there's something in the Quran that, you know, uh, advocates violence. Therefore, the whole thing is about violence. If you're looking for violence, the Bible's your book. I mean, there is, I mean, the Old Testament in particular is just nothing but a bunch of crazy violence. I will, yeah. You know, I it will, is. I will say here that recently um, someone who is popular and has a very large voice in the state said, Here's the thing, because people were mad at these people for condemning, you know, for being closed-minded, not wanting people to have free choices like gay people and stuff like that. And they said, look, it's not our Bible that's teaching violence against people. We're accepting. We're just trying to help, you know, people see the light or whatever. It's the Quran that's teaching. Ooh. And so I, I said, well, here's the thing. I've never read the Quran. So I went and I did as much as I could on these topics. And boy, Reed is right. If you put them next to each other, the Quran is way less, way less violent. Directly violent. Directly yeah. violent towards this stuff and does not say the violent things that Leviticus says. And it's just, it was, I was shocked when I, mm -hmm. not shocked, but 
it was enlightening it just to read that, that much of the Quran. People have a blind spot to their own, you know, to their own religion in in our country. It seems, and it and it's keeping people from seeing individuals as individuals. I like what you said about it. it's not enough to just know a Muslim. I think also it's key to know a Muslim and not to think of that person as a Muslim person. Instead, just think of that person as like, oh, that's a person. And, and by the way, that person is, you know, a follower of the, you know, Islamic faith. And, well, and then you get over your heebie-jeebies about well, everything. Well, that's, I mean, and that's breaking it down from, essentially, you're breaking the group barriers down when you start to know individuals. So, I mean, uh, I, I agree that it needs to be a deeper conversation. One aspect of this is, though, trying to make it individualized and, and get to yeah. know people. And like Renee Meyer said about young black men, stare young black men in the face yes. and get to know them and break those stereotypes um so but i want to get back to something because there is i don't want to brush it under the rug the whole terrorist fear okay and i'm asking you a question it may be completely unfair if you don't know the answer yeah. to say so percentage wise to put it in perspective 1.6 billion islamists the radical whatever we call over there that that's causing the fear what percent are we talking about of the Islamic faith? Do you have any number? I mean, I've, I've, I just wondered if you've been asked this question before or not, so I didn't know if you knew this number or if there is a I number. I actually don't, but I, it's most people say it's not even 0.1%. It's like, you know, minuscule that like literally is uh, thousands um, in, say, Middle East, ISIS would be one out of 1.6 billion. Yeah. Out of 1.6 billion, which and is exactly where I, I thought you were going to go with that. I mean, we're talking about a number that is so small, but yet it is getting all the airtime, and it's causing a lot of fear, and so it's stoking this kind of bias. And it's not only stoking it; it's it's the initial imprint that a lot of people have about Islam because they haven't really come across it much and it's like it's been something that in our country it's just not been something that you've heard much about and so now you're getting inundated someone who hasn't been exposed to it so biologically i can see how this process is happening for people and what i'm trying to help educate is that it's you you have to because we're we have these brains that can create these biases we also have this awesome part of our brain called the the cortex the cognitive part of the brain that we can think and say wait a minute wait a minute 1.6 1.6 billion people, 0.1% fall in this group I'm afraid of. There's 99.9999% who don't believe that way. I've got to change my implicit bias about this. And it yeah. doesn't help that the 0.01% is really good at what they do. I mean, 9-11 was a serious thing that, you know, is the worst worst thing that's right, ever happened right. in the country a man it is a real fear yeah um, sure obviously that's the, why it's so effective the well, and they're very well funded that's the other thing it, it, right. it just so yeah. happens that in that part of the world if we do think about the the middle east and the the muslim people there they they have a lot of money and it's very well funded and on top of that they're able to really influence the crazies if you know these lone wolves right. they're able to influence them in a way that you but, know, people really haven't seen right. and we keep past. saying the word they yeah. And I'm just we, talking about that point of 1%. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. That's that's the point. We need to redefine who they are, in my opinion. Hello, what and do you think about all this? I um, agree, actually. I, I, I also think there's another way to put it. 
when we see these images, especially these violent images on TV, I think they work for for the Muslim uh, for the Muslim community and Islam. They work as your icebreaker. You know, this is the first uh, you know introduction that you have, even before I've entered the room. So I usually tell people my scarf enters the room before I do. And uh, it doesn't matter what will come out of my mouth. Somehow you already have that perception and somehow you already know what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. Either I'm living up to that expectations or I'm not. And most of the time I'm not because those images and that that repetition of that idea uh, that, you know, violence is innate to this religious cult. so every single person that follows somehow either is lying or is, you know, just pandering to me. Uh, I think this is something that we all have to realize, that we are literally doing it in this moment. So for people like me, uh, unfortunately, we are doing it too, as Muslims, to Muslims. For example... My first experience with, uh, I guess, discrimination Mm -hmm. or uh, hate would be when I was a third grader. Actually younger, if I remember correctly, probably a first grader. And you grew up where? In Pakistan. Okay. And I was, uh, I don't even remember, I just remember crying like crazy when a a teacher of mine, uh, I was wearing pants, slacks underneath a tunic. And you weren't really allowed to do that uh, in that school. And my grandfather thought that, you know what, I'm, she's a girl, she's growing up, so it's a good idea that, you know, as, as a Muslim woman, you know, you, you tend to, you know, make sure that you cover your hands uh, up till your hands and your, mm. until you, your feet uh, for modesty purposes. So he was like, you know, before she's getting older, just, you know, let's, let's try to uh, have her get used to that. So anyway, I, I go to school, my mom, uh, you know, have, has me wear, wear those slacks. So this is, you know, a Muslim teacher. And uh, uh, there's, Pakistan is 98, 99% Muslim. Mm. And so literally in the middle of the class, she takes off my pants, like literally. She's like, you're not allowed to do that. And she sends me off, uh, uh, you know, was, and I'm crying and I walk all the way to my mom. My mom was a teacher in that school. That's all I remember. Mm-hmm. That is my first experience. Wow. I but don't she even was a Muslim teacher. Absolutely. But, but that's funny that you talk about that in terms of discrimination or hate. Where's the, how do you see that? What I see that as something where people, you don't have to be yeah. uh, not part of the same group, but there's this connotation of that understanding, you mm-hmm. know, or your belief that whoever does, uh, you know, practice it in certain ways is uh, the other. Yeah. And you treat them as, mm. as the outgroup. So that was the first instance of where I understood a religious practice being so, um, I guess... Uh, Hardline and regimented. And yeah, mm-hmm. but where there was an actual attempt to stop that, you know? So, and and, and it's very, I mean, that's a very crossing, a very personal boundary. Absolutely. Yeah. Make you disrobe part of your clothing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting. We talk about, you know, Islamic faith as if there's, you know, one 
way to follow it, and you don't, but I'm mean, saying many times we kind of think of it that way. I mean, think of the analogous that most of the listeners probably have come across is Christian religion. And if you tried to say that all Christians had the same beliefs, I mean, people would like throw you out of you know, the station. I mean, there's so many different ways to follow Christianity. I mean, we have so many different denominations, and even within the same denomination, different churches have different you know, they followed different tenets of, the, of their own beliefs. And so, so many great jokes that come from all of yes, that, too. But Thank heaven. The point being is that no. within, within our groups of these, like Christianity and Islam, there are, count, I mean, infinite number of subgroups. No two subgroups think exactly the same way. And, you, and so once you start to um, uh, um, take your concept of what you know, I say you, the average listener, think about the way you think of Christianity and how diverse it is. That, I presume, can be said for the Islamic faith is that it's diverse. There's different degrees, even in third grade. You had someone following it one way, someone following it another. It's very diverse. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And they were offended by it. You know, they were offended enough to stop it. You know, they were like, this is not going to happen this way. And that's literally true for across the globe. Even in in the United States, there are Muslims from, you know, different backgrounds, from different countries, different part of the world. But then there are uh, indigenous Muslims who practice it, you know, some other way. Even there's diversity in that. There are Muslim women who wear a scarf one way. There are other Muslim women who wear it another way. There are other Muslim women who don't wear it. Uh, I go around telling people I started wearing a scarf because of my mom. My mom doesn't wear it any longer. I still do. Uh, we, you know, um, my half of my family wears it, half of my family doesn't. Um, I don't know if I will continue on doing it. I hope I do. I have mm-hmm. a daughter. She's six, 17 months old. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. My husband, I don't think he's too keen on it. Uh, I don't know what she's going to do. So this is something that is, uh, you know, it's like, like water in the ocean. You know, there's so many yeah. fish. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a quick break. Uh, before we go to break, quickly, Halep, true or false? You worked for the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in Pakistan. Yes, I did. Oh, how about True that? or false, he is less hateful than our Chief Justice here in Alabama. <laughs> in Alabama. <laughs> it's true. True. Yeah. That's got to be true. That's got to be true. true. Yeah. No doubt. We're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall, talking about race relations, brain biased. Of course, you can go back and hear this on Let's Think On It. There's a podcast wherever you find podcasts. iTunes, of course, seems to be the most common place so. there. Um, all right, we're also hanging out with Hala Hadid, this is a terrible because we don't have enough time to cover no, we everything no. we want to. So maybe we can do this again. I, I would love to I, at some point. Sure, would absolutely. Love to. I would I mean, love I think to come we, back. Our learning curve is pretty steep, guys. So we, right. we need, we, it's hard to cover it all. <laughs> yeah. There is so much to talk about, yeah. and this but the it's first mutual learning. I'm yeah. learning a lot today too. No. So. Uh, that we're complete buffoons. That is, <laughs> no, these guys you, are awesome. Figured it out. <laughs> is the first time anyone has ever learned Man, anything from us. Uh, That's amazing. That's good. Yeah. So well, I was thinking, you know, uh, in the break, I, I would like to hear, essentially, I mean, you've put a lot of your life energy into your faith and and into helping people understand your faith. What do you love about your the Islamic religion? Well, Thank you for that question. Uh, I rarely get it. <laughs> so I appreciate that question. Growing up, it has been one of those... Um, moments especially my greatest moments great moments of joys of uh, you know family and uh, 
feeling good about yourself. They've literally revolved around, uh, you know, practice like uh, when we were fasting, when we'd be opening fast, when it would be Eid. And so religion was a very central part of, of growing up. And uh, But I always felt, and I feel it even more deeply since I've moved to the United States, that Islam is a very inclusive religion. It invites people and celebrates diversity. And that's something that makes me a better Muslim every day. I don't have to see color uh, because of Islam. Islam, as a Muslim, asks me to... There's no um, difference between an Arab or a, uh, uh, um, or a white person or an Arab or a black person. This was the last sermon of the prophet, that you are all equal in the eyes of God. The only person who's better than you is who is better in piety. That means who is who, a person who, do, who does good. And I think that is something that makes me want to you know, go in more depth of uh, of Islam. And as a woman, I think the greatest misconception for most people is that Islam uh, inhibits a, Muslim, a woman to be all that she can be. And in my practice, in how uh, the type of family I was raised in, the, the, the type of friends that I was raised in, Islam has literally empowered me in, in so many ways that I think... Uh, uh, any other woman probably would have a hard time, uh, you know, uh, if she were in my circumstances. So that's the long answer. That's, nice <laughs> that's answer. a good answer. Yeah, yeah. 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 And speaking of empowering, I mean, you, you uh, from an educational standpoint, uh, give us a nutshell of, of your educational. Uh, uh, I moved to the United States right after high school. I was an 18-year-old. And uh, so I've went to school. I did my undergrad here. I went to Auburn Montgomery. Uh, and then I did my master's in international relations, Auburn Montgomery. Then I came to Birmingham for my uh, law school. I went to Cumberland uh, School of Law. I graduated 2014. And uh, all of you know my uh, educational career has been in the United States. And I, I consider myself extremely fortunate. And also I call myself extremely privileged because I, I got to, uh, you know, uh, Get edu- get educated. I I tell my uh, mom this, who I, I feel like is my inspiration behind it. My grandmother, she got married when she was a 17 year old. Uh, she never went to school after that. Uh, my mom, uh, she was married as an 18 year old, and she finished her. St- she's a double masters now. She did all of that, uh, you know, right after uh, getting married. It, it had been a hard hard job for her because she had five kids, and uh, with me, I, I think it's, it was just. Uh, I don't know why I got so lucky. I got to, uh, my mother wanted me to study and, uh, you know, get to have the highest degrees that I could. And uh, I was able to get it. You know, you thought people were going to irrationally judge you for being a Muslim, but no, you just admitted you went to Auburn. And that's really what's going to get you. And I, and I, I it's a much bigger issue yeah, in Alabama. I know. Oh if God. we have time, I would love to get the Muslim perspective on Gus Malzahn's future at Auburn. Yeah, we'll talk about that maybe. Um, okay, quickly, we have a few more minutes. I want to get to something, you know, this whole Donald Trump issue, it's bringing up lots of... Uh, you know, scary feelings that we're seeing that a lot of people have. What do you think about this call to that we? They're saying we have to call terrorist radical Islamic terrorist. 
that, that, that you have to say that? What's your feeling on that? I feel it, 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 it lumps literally the entire religion and all Muslims uh, into it. It's just that simple. I don't think there's any ifs and buts about it. Uh, if you're calling somebody a radical Islamic, uh, what's the word? That terrorist. You, terrorist. Yeah. That's telling, literally, that's telling me that what I believe in is terroristic. You know, my yeah. belief system is terroristic. Uh, yeah, you can call people extremists. You can call them, uh, you know, uh, radicals. You can call them deviants. You can call them whatever word you want to call them. But if you attach Islamic yeah, to it. Yeah, I feel you could call them Muslim extremists. Go ahead. You know, a Muslim can be can be extremist. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there are Muslim extremists who are literally who bombed... Uh, uh, you know, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, and they were all Muslim. No, you, you go ahead and you ask anybody over there, nobody's going to tell you they weren't Muslim. Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't mean they were Islamic. They weren't uh, following a teaching that any Muslim rationally believes is Islamic. Um, Quran says that you can't kill uh, a life. If you've killed one, that means you've killed all of humanity. This is the pretext. This is where we begin. So to suggest that somehow Islamic faith is a proponent of violence, uh, I think is absolutely ridiculous. And I, I think it just speaks to uh, ignorance. Once again, we started this conversation on 1.6 billion Muslims and telling mm, Islam didn't start two, two, you know, uh, 100 years ago. This has been, mm-hmm. you know, 1,400-year-old uh, religion, and suddenly we're at a point where we're discussing whether, uh, you know, it is inherently uh, violent. I, and I feel like people in the know would suggest that using the term radical Islamic terrorism, actually, that's that's actually what the ISIS people want, absolutely. that it emboldens them because they want it to be a war between Islam oh. and the evil West. And if you attach that word to it, that helps them. That's their recruiting mechanism. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If you are telling, I don't even want to call them ISIS. I call them right. Daesh because that's the term that they are offended by. Uh, what is it? Yeah, we need to start using it. What, what is it? Daesh. Daesh? Daesh. Daesh. Spell it for us. D-A-E-S-H. Like Daesh. a bunch of, bunch of well, Daesh holes. up when yeah. she said that's the word we yeah. can offend about. Well, well, I, I know, right? Yeah, yeah you, you, you <laughs> what does get it on mean? the list. It, it means um, like an outcast or something. It, basically, they've used um, local um, people who've been using Daesh for them. They had uh, literally been going around killing those people and oh, you know, trying to wait. make sure that they don't... Maybe we shouldn't use that. We yeah, should. you no, should not. We should totally. <laughs> no, a, but this is a, a term... Yeah. country should adopt that term. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a term that, uh, for example, when we say Islamic State, that means we're giving them legitimacy yeah. that they want. Right. And uh, uh, why would you want to do that? It's right. uh, when one, when the, the rest of the world, uh, Muslims, do not give them that legitimacy, why are we here then we giving them it? what exactly. they want? It's all about the group dynamics, guys, in-groups yeah. and out-groups. And they're trying to in- encircle all of Islam and make it an in-group, they being the terrorists. We shouldn't facilitate that. We have to put our arms around the Islam faith and make them part of our, us, no. and they being the Daesh, okay? I mean, it's all about how you identify. I mean, it's it is, and it's about in group and out group, and it, it to me it just seems so obvious. I'll, I'll I'll just say this too, as Americans, Americans have to understand I'm an immigrant. 
but there are uh, Muslims who are American Muslims who've yeah. been born here, who raised here, and uh, to think that Islam is not a part of uh, America is something that you know uh, Islamic State thrives on. This idea that somehow Islam is the other, so you know you're not from here, so you go out, you know. And if we take uh, good well, people who are Americans who are who happen to be Muslim, and we say you're not like us, then we are we're pushing them toward. So it's, it's, those it's not people. like we're pushing them; it's just yeah. we are creating that dynamic. We're creating that dynamic and saying you're not is, part of us. We're creating an identity yeah. uh, issue right here that somehow what Islamic State states it stands for what. Islam is. But if we have young Muslim men, for example, in this country who we do see going and joining the ranks of, of ISIS or Daesh or whatever we want to call them, well, we should ask ourselves, how did, how, why did they feel the need to do that? Why were they not incorporated into our society? What are we doing that is, that is putting those people off of our, our culture and our society? Um, you know, why don't they feel comfortable here? And, and one last thing, you mentioned something, you said you're an immigrant mm-hmm. and you, you essentially put yourself in a group that seemed different from us. The reality is, everybody in this room, unless any of you are Native American, Will and I are one thirty-second Native 30 American. Yeah. We are all children of immigrants. Yeah. Okay. Whereas in your country, actually, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So, you, we are still a we. We. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I learned something. I know, exactly. Right Okay, We're all, I mean, we tend not to think that way because, okay, we were born in whatever state you're born in, and so were your parents and ones before them. But at some point, obviously, we're all immigrants. And that's tonight's Take That Native Americans (laughs) moment from the show. (laughs) Daesh. So you don't think any of the Daesh are listening, right? Let's hope not. You know they are. I can't guarantee that. Those guys are Daeshy. Stupid Daesh. I'm Reed Lockamy. I'll have you. Thank you so much. You can call me if something happens. (laughs) Hopefully it won't be too late. Uh, Hey, Joseph writes in and says, y'all should do an entire show on this. She is so articulate. You are. And we should do an entire show on this. Callie also writes in and says, loving the segment on Over the Radio about the Islamic faith on Birmingham Mountain Radio. So lots of good responses, and I would love to do a whole show on this. So we should at some point. We're going to have to have you back. I have other questions I want to yeah, ask me you. Too. So. Thank um, you. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers.